I'm delighted to be joined again by longtime guest Tom Castley. And Tom is going to talk to me today about the evolving, changing nature of the sales manager's role, how it's changed over the last few years, and probably more important and more of interest to people, how it's going to change over the next few years. Tom, you're very welcome to the show. Looking forward to it. Cool. Tom, tell me a little bit, because I know you've been doing this sales management thing for a number of years now, very successfully, and you've been at the forefront in terms of thought leadership around sales. I'm assuming you've also looked at how the, the job itself as sales manager, that is there as kind of chief storyteller, chief motivator, chief sheep herder, all of those things. Uh, how it's changed. I'm curious to know what you've seen. So if you could talk, first of all, about what you've seen over the past few years, and then we'll look at where it's going. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I've seen, seen a lot of change. Uh, a lot of it's driven by the, uh, uh, you know, the macro factors that have impacted us all uh, as we've gone through the pandemic. Um, but what's interesting, I think, over a slightly longer period of time, is I've come to realise that uh, sales management isn't a rose. There are hundreds of varieties of roses that flourish in different environments. Some prefer shade, some prefer sun, some grow quickly, some slowly, some flower multiple times a year, some don't. And and just to, just to kind of clob together sales managers as roses, I was going to use potatoes, but I'm going to be more complimentary and say roses, um, <laughs> would be a mistake. And, um, you know, maybe as we go through this discussion, I could kind of uh, at a very high level kind of paint the picture of where I think, you know, kind of sales leaders fit in. And, and, and it might be interesting for some managers who are new to sales management who are thinking, I'm not sure this is for me. And what I would contend is it probably is they're just trying to be the wrong kind of roads. Uh, and they haven't worked out what kind of roads they are and then therefore what kind of business they need to go to. Okay, so imagine I'm that manager and I've come to you and I said, look, not sure about this. I think I might be interested in it, but it's, it's a big, big leap. What advice do you have for me? What would you tell me to look at yeah. first? So, uh, and now, now having had these thoughts recently, I'm now having to, <laughs> to make them sound rational. So um, where would I start? A couple of um, copying what you did on your, uh, your recent webinar, which I thought was great on, on kind of discounting problems. Uh, you had these kind of models as you went through so people could kind of see what box they went into. Uh, I think the first is, is to work out, uh, are they uh, an early stage leader or a late stage leader? What I mean by that is early stage leaders tend to have more exploration required than exploitation. And so what I mean by that is um, if you are uh, growing an early stage business or going into a new market or what have you, there's stuff to work out. You need to explore uh, and then to be able to coach to those variabilities. You're probably growing a team. So you're selling, you're coaching. Um, if you're in a more established business, it's about exploiting the model that's already in place and it's those marginal gains. And uh, I'm more passionate about the former, so I'll try not to be derogatory about the latter because I know some phen phenomenal exploitation leaders who just revel in the predictability and the efficiency and those, those marginal gains and about accelerating that motion and, and exploiting emotion and, and, and helping people conform to that uh, in a way that drives you know phenomenal growth and what mm. have you so when you think about that you're then mm. saying right okay am i more at the uh, the selling end of the model uh, and the selling and coaching or am i more at the operator end of the model yeah um so that's the first kind mm -hmm. of conundrum i would come at um the second one then is uh understanding and actually taking some stuff from outreach so uh, outreach talk about um, uh, efficiency, predictability, and growth. Now, everybody needs to grow, but I, I, whenever I've spoken to any sales manager, 
they're normally good in one of them. And it's the other two that are wanted. Or they're good in two areas, but they're, and, they're, and they're not in another. So, for example, it might be, look, we're growing. Mm. We're growing well. We're growing at 20 30% a year. And we're really predictable. We hit the number every quarter. I'm just not able to drive efficiency. The only way I can do it is to add more people and the unit economics aren't working. Or it might be that, you know, we're ruthlessly efficient, growing like mad, but we're all over the place. I'm not predictable. Or, you know, and and I could go through every other variable or permutation. And when you think about that, that, that. Yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to say thank you, by the way. You've just given me an excellent question to ask on my next sales call. And it'll be framed as, 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 as this, talking to Tom Castley. And he said, managers these days, he says, they, they tend to be really good in two out of three areas, growth, yeah. uh, efficiency, and predictability. Which are your twos? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. It's a great question. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> My yeah. pleasure. But sorry, I, I interrupted you. I shouldn't have. I just I was saying, I was I was so excited about it. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah. So when you think about that as a sales leader, ultimately you need to think: Well, am I going into a more established team and a process, and I'm looking to take people through the journey of that process, or am I more about I need to uh, define the environment, the process, and the people, uh, and it's more about discovering those winning formulas and putting them into place. And building people around that. Yeah. Um, so that's the first kind of area. The, the second one that's that's big for me at the moment is, um, you know, it's it's pretty well publicized that most sales leaders, uh, you know, their average tenure, I think it's down to 17 months or something ridiculous, which is, you know, incredibly low. And, um, you know, I always say to other sales, when they're thinking of, you know, transitioning salespeople, I kind of say, is it the environment or is it the rep? What, what's Have we failed them or have they failed us? And, and normally it's we failed them. The environment's not right. But anyway, um, but then thinking about that, mm. if you think that most sales reps, you know, take, you know, nine months to ramp, uh, they then start to get productive. The second and third year is, you know, home run territory. They should be making president's club and what have you. The, the number one job of a sales manager is not to get to the number. It's to increase the tenure of their team. Because if you increase the tenure, the number happens. And this is the difference between what I call management and leadership. Management is saying, I have a goal, which is to get to this number by the end of the year. And I'm just going to drive and coerce the team to get to that goal. Leadership is painting a vision, a Mm. shared vision, ideally, and then having your team come along with you on that journey. And the vision now isn't just another way of saying the number, but it's a three-year number. That's, the, that's just management to another goal. The vision is, is uh, how do you uh, uh, directly link the outcomes of your team to, uh, to, to your vision? So in other words, um, you know, Pete Crosby, did a, he said this to me a couple of years ago. He doesn't realize how impactful it was, but he said, look, he said, you might know where your team want to be like at the end of the year. Where do you want to? And it's typically vocational and professional. So do you know where they want to be in three to five years? Mm. And I went, uh, no, I don't. He said, it said, the conversations I've had with people, they said, like, you know, I, I want to have bought a house. I need to be financially independent and I don't want to live in London anymore. And when if you can attach yourself mm. to those goals and help them to discover the quarterly by quarterly, monthly, weekly objectives that move them closer to that goal, you've significantly decreased the attrition risk because you're now part of a bigger purpose for that individual. And, uh, and, that's, and that's where you start to, you know, outside of sales management, this is where you get into sales leadership. Sales leadership is typically what drives retention. Retention is what drives more predictable performance. I love that. So, yeah, so the goal of the, the leader is to increase the tenure, but also <clears throat> what you're, I'm, I'm trying to see is it a different frame or just a supplementary frame. I think it's supplementary is that it's also then the goal. Or, sorry, the key to that 
is to ensure that almost every conversation with a rep starts, maybe not expressed out loud, but with the intention of, how do I get you to move out of London, find that house? Whatever their individual goals are. And, and if you do that and do that consistently, then you'll hold on to them for longer. And if you hold on to them for longer, you'll make your number more consistently, more predictably, and you'll grow. That's the three yeah. areas. And, and, and yes, and one of the one of the tactics for that is uh, you have a one-to-one -one, uh, on a monthly basis where you can't talk about deals, opportunities, or pipeline. It's a one-to-one. -one. So that could be personal development. Mm -hmm. It could be understanding what they're, you know, how they're getting towards their goals and their objectives, how they're feeling and so on and so forth. Uh, so it doesn't have to be that often because, you know, a long-term goal takes time to achieve. There's no point in checking in on it every week. So maybe mm. even make it quarterly. Uh, mm. what, whatever is appropriate. Kind of depends on how long-term the goal is. You know, if it's something they want to do in 18 months, probably makes mm. sense to talk monthly. If something they want to do in two and a half, three years, maybe mm. quarterly. Yeah. But the other dynamic, just to go back to, mm. is, is thinking, right, so that's how I move from sales management to sales leadership. And that's not a promotion, that's a style. But then it's in what kind of environment mm. am I doing that? Am I more in the explorer or the exploitation model? Uh, am, I, am I in an operator mode uh, and I'm running a, a well-oiled machine and I'm looking to, you know, not F it up, basically, um, or, or am I looking to, you know, effectively find those winning formulas and grow the capability as it progresses to becoming more of an exploitation? That's really interesting because we talk about the hunter versus the farmer, with the tactical versus the consultative seller, but we don't tend to make those distinctions when it comes to management, that there's different mm. types with different trade characteristics that are suited to different environments. And um, no. yeah, I, I'm sure there is literature out there. I just have not come across it. Um, it's fascinating. No, well, you know, I, I, everybody says when you go into first line sales management, uh, you take a pay cut. And I would say in mm. the vast majority of cases, it's because they've gone into the wrong first line manager's job. Uh, and that's because normally most people mm. get promoted into sales management in the company they're already at. Now, um, mm -hmm. You know, they may have been there for a period of time. They may well have gone through a growth phase. Uh, and so they've been an explorer sales rep who's found the winning formula and has brought that to bear. And they've got a sense of enjoyment mm -hmm. out of that and it matches their skills. But by the time they progress to a manager role, we're already along the path of getting more to the exploitation end of the spectrum. And so not only do they take on a new role, but they also take it on in an environment that doesn't necessarily drive their passion. And there's so many variables that are now out of kilter. No wonder they don't drive the kind of you know, performance and the outcomes they were looking for, which means they don't, don't just take a pay cut, they take a performance cut as well. Mm. Assuming that a manager goes into a role that's suited in terms of whether they are an explorer or an exploiter, what sort of development options are out there for them in terms of you were recommending to somebody here over the next three years, here's a good path to follow in terms of personal development? What would you point them towards? Uh, well, one is um, uh, they immediately need to uh, get away from this idea of managing the number and managing the competencies. So, you know, uh, you would expect me to say this, you know, coming from outreach, but you know, over the over the past two or three years, we've effectively had an explosion of the data uh, that is being created and uploaded and available in CRM. And that's not sales reps tapping on keyboards and giving their judgment, you know, either glass half full or carpet bag or sandbagging. That's empirical telemetry kind of level data uh, that is. Um, that's populating these systems. That's now allowing, uh, you know, uh, in the revenue intelligence space, organizations aren't just able to use that data to, uh, to predict a forecast. They're actually now getting to the next level down where they can start to see what's the DNA of a deal look like. What, who should we be engaging with on a regular basis? How often? What does that look like? Who should be involved from the buying committee? Who should be involved from the selling committee? 
that drives a more predictable uh, outcome and a higher win rate. Now, those are frequencies. Mm. Those are jobs to be done. Uh, as sales managers, leaders, we won't iterate on those, but as a sales leader, um, my job used to be to inspect that those things are being done. We would do deal interrogations. We would ask them to put, you know, things here. Uh, I don't need to ask for that anymore because there is a system of record that has that. So stop looking at frequencies and start thinking about, well, okay, if they're doing those things, my job is to ensure they're doing them optimally. So my job as a sales leader is now to coach the competencies. That means that those frequencies are done well uh, and they set us apart in terms of our mm. approach to it. So that, that would be the first thing mm. for me as a sales leader is to start thinking about, right, my job is now to improve their competency not to measure their frequencies. How much of the tech stack, you had a different name for it. It's, it's, what did you call that, that former sales tech stack that's there to support sales? There was a name for it. Uh, um, yeah, I just and it, it doesn't, you know, it's uh, rev revenue intelligence or yeah, engagement, but it's, it's the fact that there are two, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would still have it. You know, outreach, outreach is still the best. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'm curious to know how much of the value of that is in there as it's not automating, but it's it's making it more efficient. The capture, uh, the inspection of that data and being able to report on that it's happening. Then you, as the manager, can go in and see if it's been optimized but i'm just curious how much of the value is in that piece alone and where, where else where else well, can it be optimized the the value is is if if you give the people who get the most out of it the permission to use it so there's a there's yeah i know you've read the book dave marquette's turn the ship around he talks mm -hmm. about moving information, moving decisions to the point of information because they're the most informed people to make mm -hmm. a decision. So, you know, he would advocate that why would, why do we uh, require sales managers to approve discounts? Because they're less informed than the rep who's there. I mean, ultimately the reps get paid commissions, so they're not interested in discounting something unnecessarily. Mm. Yeah. So why not move the decision mm -hmm. to the point of information? Uh, other than for things like, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley, which requires you to have an audit trail of discount. But, you know, we forget these global financial rules that stop that happening. So, you know, if you can expose this telemetry level data uh, to the reps, reps aren't, you know, they're, they're no different to anybody else. They're not, they're, I was going to say they're not stupid. Uh, I think I am. But, you know, um, it, you know if, they're, if they're being given... Um, you know, kind of next best action level information and they're being given the data that says, look, you need to go and speak to the CFO. Uh, you haven't spoken to them for three weeks. You know, the, the win rate on this deal is going to go up by 14% if you manage to have a meeting with them. And ideally, you need to be talking to them about the ROI at this stage because guess what? That's what happens in winning deals. Mm. They're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, it's not for me mm. to check up on that. That, that's just going to happen. And, and having deployed that, obviously, uh, at Outreach, you know, I, I looked at it for a few weeks and then got bored because actually it was just being done um, because it was made available mm. to the teams who needed to use it. So then what you start to look at was, well, okay, they had the meetings. Now, if the outcome didn't come about, then that's not a frequency problem. That's a competency problem. So my role as a sales leader mm -hmm. then is to look at, well, okay, having, if they're doing the frequencies and we're not getting the expected outcomes, there's a competency gap. And how can I bridge that? For? Mm. And, you know, there's a, you know, uh, mm. all of the call recording technologies and everything else in place. You know, we can now look at the meetings. We can go in there and have a look at it uh, and help on an individual basis to diagnose that. But, and you never diagnose something that didn't go well in an open forum. Uh, I would encourage every sales leader, you know, if, there, if somebody had a fantastic outcome, so they met with the CFO like they were supposed to and the deal accelerated. So there was there was obviously an example of great competency potentially. Then that's the one that you share with yes. the wider team. And that then becomes kind of positive reinforcement mm -hmm. uh, and, and allows you to move the deal mm -hmm. forward. 
Yeah, I think you answered my next question, which was when you were talking about giving permission and potency to the rep in around discounting, my, my initial reaction was, was yes, but, <laughs> and it was mm. along the lines of, well, you can give them permission to discount, but we all know reps who give discounts because they just can't deal with the pushback or they want approval. It's a competency issue. But then I think what you said to that was that it becomes obvious very quickly through the data whether that rep, if that rep is consistently doing that. If it's a one-off, then you know it was probably done for the right reasons. But if there's a trend there and the data will tell you that, then you know that's the time for the intervention, right? They're that's that's the, the goal. Just the, yeah, they're following um, the process to the letter, but they're selling um, you know, below market mm. level. It's clearly a competency issue. And, and that's something that that can be coached around. Yeah. And what about the makeup? We're talking about change in the changing landscape of management. But there's a flip side to that as well, because the, I mean, the whole, I can't remember, uh, Scott, Scott, the name will come to me, the whole sense of breaking up the sales cycle into SDRs, BDRs, AEs, um, and field sales. To me, I often looked at that and wondered, is that, is that a smart idea? Um, initially, th that front end were just there to set up appointments. That was it. it. It was more telemarketing and then became telesales, then became inside sales and then had people doing prime roles. And then of course with the pandemic, everybody was an inside salesperson. So the, the, the lines and the distinctions have blurred over, the, over time. What's your prediction for where that's going and what implication does that have for sales management and leadership? Permission to be controversial. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. You know, look, you know, predictive selling, Aaron Ross, you know, Salesforce, this notion of, you know, having specialist pipeline builders because you kind of got this, you know, boom and bust in sales reps, which is, you know, I'm busy closing, so I can't build pipeline. Uh, and, you know, that was the ultimate aim of that model was to, was to drive a more consistent revenue from sales reps. Uh, but it comes at a cost because you've now got two people involved in a process, mm. not one. Yeah. Um, and now when I look at uh, yeah. businesses, you know, the kind of what's happened over the last three or four years is as initial transactions have got smaller, um, you know, customer success have been involved, but customer success has kind of had to be in two camps where it's, you know, it's helping to kind of deliver the value that was initially sold. And, and then they've been responsible for the renewal and, oh, now they're starting to be responsible for the upsell. And because the initial transaction is smaller, that's happening more often. And it's like, well, is that a commercial role or is that an enablement role? Mm. So what many organizations have done is to split that up and said, well, okay, now we're going to have customer success and we're going to have account management. So now you've got four roles in the kind of go-to-market function. And, and my view is four into three don't go. Uh, one of those needs to disappear. Mm. And uh, my, my view of the next 18, I, I, I'm convinced in the next year, we're going to see a high growth business that gets rid of, gets rid of the new business aids. Um, and, I wouldn't say fire them, but they're probably going to redeploy them all into account managers rather than hiring account managers. Uh, and the reason I suggest this is at the highest level, I strongly subscribe to people buy emotionally, justify rationally. And, you know, there's an emotional hurdle to get over. Plug for your webinar again. Go and listen to Paul's webinar on discounting and how people discount the emotional need for change and, and to overcome change management. But... When you look at uh, the SDRs of today, how well they're being trained by this new breed of SDR leaders, how well they're being supported by technology like outreach, um, they, are all, they live and breathe emotional selling. They're, they're inspiring yeah. people to get through the discounting models, not financial discounting, but discounting the urgency of a problem, mm -hmm. to take a meeting. Now, I don't believe mm -hmm. it's a quantum leap to finish that emotional process to the point at which somebody decides that doing nothing is the worst possible decision we could make. And now they want to transact. 
And my view is, mm. is that I would rather they transact with somebody who has their long-term commercial interests at hand rather than the short-term mm. transient relationship with a new business rep. And, you know, given that the average sales cycle is around about 94 days, we're paying a lot of money for somebody to have a short-term relationship for 94 days uh, before then having a multi-relationship with an account manager who is uh, excited by iterative and continuous commercial development of a relationship between a customer and organization. And so they will become buying because they'll take them through that rational proof stage, that rational discovery that this is the right decision to make and then continue that as you go through the process. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that having been on the other side of the fence and experienced buying software and dealing, first of all, with the BDR, where there's a connection, there's rapport, there's competence, and then all of a sudden been handed over to an AE where a lot of that was lacking. And, and it's... It's, it, it, was, it was a weird kind of a jolt of experience that was not endearing. And there was no sense for that because I absolutely was sure. I was there to buy. The BDR I was dealing with could easily have just said, you know, when do you want to have this up and running by? And just taking care mm -hmm. of the, the back end of the process easily. But they, and I had this conversation because I trained the guy and he uh, said, look, he says, that's just our, our process. And I'm thinking it's not a customer-centric process. It it mm. it it puts the lie to this whole idea of put the customer first. We talk that talk, but when it comes to organizing, we tend to organize around our interests rather than the customer's interests. And that just being, I think, yeah. a case in point. So, yeah. Now, th on yeah, the flip yeah. side, that's a highly complex process. You know, op opening an account, developing it, and 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 managing it is probably too much for one person as well. So there's somewhere in between. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're not, we're not subscribing to having a selling committee still. There still will be multiple people involved. And what I advocate mm. is that actually mm. the SDRs, senior SDRs are not far away from being able to run that entire process. And, and if you add that yeah. to the fact that, you know, the average deal size in, in SaaS, which is obviously where I come from, still it's getting smaller than the size of the decision mm. uh, is also getting smaller. Here's, here's the thing. I know we, we talked many years ago in kind of, you know, uh, if you're a medical practitioner, if you don't do good discovery, it's medical malpractice. And, and you know, so sales reps should do more discovery. But, you know, I, I sat in the office of a consultant surgeon before now uh, with the with the perception that I know they're going to make a ton of money if they cut me open and do an operation. And so my core belief is at some point they want to get a scalpel out and have a go. They don't want to turn me away. Now, yeah. that's also medical malpractice. Imagine it doesn't matter how good the rep is. At some point, uh, there is a drive internally that says, if I can finish this discovery, I can get to get my scalpel out and do what I trained for and enjoy doing, which is, you know, cutting people open and fixing them. Now, if you remove that, the finish line... Metaphorically speaking. But, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to, yeah, no lawsuits from surgeons or anything like that. But, um, but you know, if, if the SDR's role or the SDR of tomorrow uh, is just to qualify to the point at which somebody's prepared to do that, there is a handoff. And that handoff naturally has a quality bar to it. So I'm not going to take somebody through a rational process mm. unless they're ready. What account manager would take that on? So now what you've got is you've got, uh, mm. you know, one surgeon who just needs to be uh, convinced and another surgeon who can actually do the job. So it's kind of surgeon and uh, you know, anaesthetist. An anaesthetist doesn't get involved unless mm. they're sure that somebody needs to go through the process, they're fit, healthy, and they're required, what have you. So you're actually creating a very natural uh, change at that point in time. And, and from a sales leadership standpoint, we all say that, you know, there's a, today now more than ever, there's, there's more focus on discovery than ever before. People are disqualifying deals, lots of false mm -hmm. positives, because we want the pipeline to be real. But 
we're still deploying resources that don't want the pipeline to be real and think if they have a few more at-bats, they might get to their number. So you can remove that contention mm. by having some people who literally are just walking people through that emotional phase. And then the more project manager, program mm. management mentality, more the, the gravitas consultant type role that takes them through the rational part of the process. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's like a, a form of triage. If you go mm. in, like you talked about the consultant, well, first of all, you're going to be met by somebody who's going to ask you a ton of questions to figure mm. out how acute, how chronic this problem is and how urgent, etc. And based on that, mm. then, who's the right person or what queue you should wait in. It's, it feels to me something very similar in that there's a, a separation of, of, of roles for very good reason. It, it, one is economic. It doesn't pay the consultant to be doing mm. triage with everybody. Um, yeah. Interesting. But what, what, what impact does that have then on the future role of the sales manager? How do you feel that's going to change? Well, um, now, if, if that comes to pass, we've gone through a massive amount of changes. We've moved to remote selling. So I, 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 I then also suggest oh. that you know, every sales leader today is underqualified for the job that they're doing because we were probably sales leaders before the pandemic. <laughs> the way we led then is very different to the way we need to lead now. So we're all new sales leaders. <laughs> some, some have figured it out. Mm. Some are still trying to work it out. Um, but uh, when you don't have the answers to the question, you then need to go to a different source. So again, I'm a big, you've heard me talk about situational leadership or, you know, moving from this is how I would do it to how would you do it? Uh, it does fit into the Dave Marquette model. It is about moving information to the point of decision or sorry, decisions to the point of information. So, you know, sales leaders now, when somebody, when somebody, the way that you start this process is kind of a three-step process. Step one is when somebody comes to you with a question, uh, you're not to, you, the first thing you should do is, well, what do you think? You've probably thought it through. Mm. Well, I think this. Well, okay, what, what other answers did you discount before you decided that was the best idea? And all I'm doing is I'm just discovering, I'm trying to get my head into what, how did they think about the problem and, and to encourage mm. those neurological pathways to develop. Now, in that stage one, what often happens, they'll come up with a solution, but to build conviction on that solution, what I uh, target myself to do is to come up with an alternative as well and then say to them, look, that's my, my perspective on it. You've got your perspective. It's up to you which one you choose. What would it be? Now, the reason I'm doing that is just to get, you know, they'll get tunnel vision on a thought. If I can give them an alternative perspective, then, then, then again, then get to choose between their best idea and my idea, and I have no care which one they go with. Right now, what they start to learn to do in kind of stage one B is they'll go to their colleagues and they'll talk it through, and then their colleagues will give them the alternative. So, what I get in stage one B is they come to me and they say, "Well, I've got this problem. Here's my solution. I also went to this rep and this rep, and I asked them, and they came up with these other ones, and I still think my one's the best because of these ideas." I'm like, "Brilliant." then our conversation is slightly shorter. So that's that stage one is never ask the question. And I never answer the question. Stage two is, uh, is further developing um, both when they come to you with the problem. So earlier on, they're seeing trouble coming rather than, I, rather than I'm in trouble. And again, developing those kind of neurological pathways. And Again, that's just a skill of the questions you ask. So, you know, what do you think I'm thinking is the get-out-of-jail-free question. You can, well, what do you think? What question do you mm -hmm. think I'm thinking? Well, I think you're thinking this. And my usual answer is, oh, I wasn't. That's really interesting. Now, let's unpack that. So what do you think I was really thinking? I still haven't asked any questions at this point, mm -hmm. but I sound super clever. <laughs> um, so you go through that stage two. Stage three is when it comes to pass that it worked, um, what I do is I ensure that when somebody comes to me with something that sounds, looks, feels similar, rather than having the coaching conversation with them, I say, you know, that sounds very similar to what so-and-so went through a month or so ago. Have you spoken to them about it? 
Now, we've mm-hmm. spoken in the past. You know, you, you understand it or you've read it, you know it, you use it, you live it, you can teach it. If I can create environments where my reps are teaching each other, uh, one is I'm super lazy, uh, so it's mm-hmm. less on my plate, but that builds them up uh, and reinforces that behavior. And plus, uh, reps learn really well off each other if given those environments. And then kind of the 3B, if you will, for me is, um, uh, and this was one given to me by Mark at, Mark at Outreach. He, he said, stop running training sessions, have the reps run them. And what I realized was over the previous months, we'd built up a library of where they'd come up with their own ideas. They'd worked. They'd already taught it to one member of the team and it had worked for them. So then what we started to do was the weekly sales training. I hadn't delivered sales training for months now. We just have a roster and the things that have worked, they come in and they teach it to the entire sales team. And the level of engagement in those sales training sessions, because of the respect that you have for your peers and what have you, is it's done with them and done for them, not done to them. And uh, the uptake on that uh, and the collaboration, the rapport, the relatedness is just ridiculous. And so those are, for me, in this ever-changing environment as we go into these other areas, if you want to be a really effective sales leader, you've got to disseminate the leadership and the cognitive load into your teams who are actually phenomenal. There's a couple of things there I wanted to pick up on with you. One was in the context of the, the changing role of the sales manager, we started out talking about using the, the, the roles as an as a an analog and the, the different types and the the traditional manager was one who was there to figuratively move i'm going to say paper move information move stuff through a process manage to yeah. to to their process and I, I know i'm being oversimplistic what you're talking about here is very different you're talking about you're talking about building neural pathways in the minds of your charges in your team, developing, creating a level of thinking that didn't exist or certainly is, is elevated above what was there beforehand. That's a very, very different type of uh, perspective on the job. Does that then, talking about the different types of managers, does that require a different type of manager to do that? Does the, the former... B- process-oriented manager succeed in that where the, the process takes care of itself. We've talked about that a little bit, that you know you don't need to inspect yeah. it and it's kind of self-healing almost if you do the, the training that we talked about. But then it almost seems like your whole role is A, making yourself redundant and in the process increasing not just the, the, the competencies but the level of thinking that goes into those competencies of the people in your team. Is that how it's going? Yeah, so if we bring it full circle, remember what I said at the the top of this uh, call was uh, the job of a sales leader is to uh, increase the tenure of their reps and drive retention. And the number will look after itself. Mm. You know, the stats, you know, tenured reps do do their number. Mm. And, Mm. you know, at 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 the moment, and and participation, I'll add to that. You know, you can't mm. Uh, mm. participation is also a retention. Everybody needs to be contributing. And you know, at the moment, uh, as sales leaders, we're, we're driven to get to an annual number. And when you get to the end of the year, that's the finish line. What happens at the finish line? People mm. slow down, and they go to the next race. So the job of a sales leader mm. is not to have a finish line. Is to have something that is just, I'm just on a run. I'm doing the forest gum, you mm. know, coast to coast for a few years. <laughs> you know, get to the end and just run backwards again because there's a higher purpose yeah. to it. Yeah. And um, if yeah. you can, you know, I was, I was talking to somebody just this afternoon. I said, uh, I said, look, I said, um, if you think about it, there's a reason why President's Club is in the middle of the next financial year. It's not a reward mechanism. It's a retention mechanism. Get your head around that. Interesting. Top reps get to President's Club. You take them to a hotel that even with all of their 
phenomenal amount of commission they can't afford or justify. And their significant others at home have a huge benefit to it. You know, I can tell you, in my career, I've stayed in jobs because of the President's Club trip that was coming up. And then I left, you know, three quarters of the way through there. If you look at top reps leaving, uh, I bet it's a dual bell curve just after President's Club and end of financial year. Mm. There'll be two of them. Whereas the, you know, mm. the unregrettable leavers, which is people who haven't performed, all get exited at the end of the year because, you know, or just before because we need to kind of, you know, rebuild the machine. So uh, it, you've got to remove that finish line. And, and, yeah. and that's about... I want to go off yeah, on a slight tangent of, with you on this one. On. Yeah. Sorry, Tom, there's a bit of a delay and, and, and I yeah. feel like I'm talking over you occasionally. I don't mean to. It's just that it, it, there's a silence in that. But I, the, you're onto something that I really wanted to explore with you for a moment, if you don't mind, because I was listening to a talk by Mark Roberge and he's one of the founders or certainly early stage employees in HubSpot for people who don't know who he is and now he's a venture capitalist. But um, he was talking about A players. A players don't ever look for jobs, right? And mm. it w reminded me because so many times you see on LinkedIn managers, we're hiring. If anybody knows anybody out there, send them my way type thing. And I'm thinking, no, that's not, you're never going to find A players like that. And then you said something which was interesting about, and I hadn't thought of it that way as well, you know, get your head around the fact that, that President's Club is retention, which leads me to think then, that if somebody's on the market, you got to be looking at what their end of year is. And if they're on the market close to the, you know, just after the end of the year, that should be a red flag that there's, there's, that there's, there's things that we do that, um, I, I, it's almost feels like self-sabotage. Yeah. It's just a, um, yeah, it's just another way I think, you know, another way of thinking about it is, My DNA to think of people like this. I think people who know me would know that. But you know, if I think of you know a sales rep as an asset, my my job is mm. to have that asset be with me for three years. Mm. If, you, if you have that mentality, you then approach it in a very different way, and and it mm. has you think slightly differently. So especially with uh, you know millennials, Gen Z, you know they've got to have vision lock. They've got to see progression. It's got to meet their personal aims. So, you know, there's, there's very different drivers in that. And trying to, trying to lead to those whilst managing to a number, it's complicated. But, you know, that's why we're having this, this long conversation. Yeah. And that's true in sports as well. I've heard really great managers say that. You can't manage to the scoreboard. You, yeah. You've got to manage. You know, people talk about you've got to win your own ball. You got to play yeah. what's put in front of you. You got, but you've got to train, and 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 what I and and who I put on the pitch determines what I see in practice. And I think yeah. we could do a, a little bit more of that as well. That said, that said, one of the reasons why I was never a huge fan of these motivational talks where they bring in some sports personality, which talks about leadership and motivation. And it's not that that doesn't exist. Is that in sports the manager has one lever that in sales and business you don't have, you can leave somebody on the bench very easily in, in a game, which can be very motivating. You can't do that the same way in, in sales. You can't just decide somebody, okay, you're, you're, you're benched for the next six weeks. Uh, no, but there are multiple benches. And I was just curious. Yeah, so, you know. Talk to, okay, benches, talk oh, yeah. to me about that. Yeah. Well, you know, one of those is, you know, I talked about, you know, somebody who comes up with a new way of working and is taught somebody else and then gets invited to train the entire sales team. Uh, that's that's a field of play. Mm. And uh, if you're not uh, intrinsically bought into that and want to add value to the team, you'll be left on the bench and you don't run training sessions. And, you know, social inclusion is both in the negative consensus a manipulator, but is also incredibly powerful in driving that that collaboration. So uh, again, if you're thoughtful about this, I think there's multiple benches that people can be left on. 
listen, you have just opened my eyes to it. I never looked at it that way. There are multiple fields, and each field has its own set of benches, is what we're really saying. Yeah. And uh, last thing I want to ask you, and on that, it's the, the, the segue is nice because you talked about training. And I'm curious to know where, where that industry is going. Is, you know, I've been involved in it. I see there's the writing is on the wall for the traditional way. I'm not sure everybody shares that opinion with me, but when I look at what organizations are doing and I look at what particularly Gen Z look for, the traditional classroom-based training, to me, the days are numbered. But that's just my perspective. Maybe it's paranoia. Curious to know what your thoughts are. Uh, uh, my... My... My belief, yeah, going through PowerPoints and whatever. If it's on a whiteboard, it's interacting, there's discussion. That's the style bit for me, uh, mm. and that's still well. To, I mean, bear in mind, most people who are coming into sales careers now, you know, uh, you've just got to train the way that they learnt in school. You know, it's not writing on a blackboard anymore. It was, you know, um, self-paced learning, collaborative discussion, online, so on and so forth. So, you know. Why would you try and train them in a way that's different to the last 13 years of their life when they've been going through education? Um, but look, what I do see is, you know, same as I think sales stages are dead. Uh, I also think that anything that is a frequency-based sales, whether it's MedPick or anything, these are so, so rigid um, and actually not granular enough, given that we just talked about this, this telemetry-level mm. data now. We're capturing... We're not capturing MedPick. We're capturing the pixels of the letters that are used in the printer to print MedPick, right? You've got better source data than right. you need somebody to, to, to point out. So mm. the training now is all around competences. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Sandler. I love that, um, the analogy that was given mm. to me probably 25 years ago, which is it's sheet music. It's the same notes but you choose the instrument and you choose the style. Jazz and a French horn or mm. saxophone and heavy metal. You know, some of them work, some of them don't. Neither of those do actually, but anyway. Um, and, but it's not prescriptive. Well, it depends on what your client wants as well. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it, but it is transferable and a lot of those skills uh, translate to many different parts of industry now. And so, you know, I would, my yeah. perspective is that the kind of training that you provide, Paul, which isn't, you know, blue sheets, gold sheets, med picks, so on and so forth, is going to yeah. have more place longer term because it's competency-based training. It's not frequency and, 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 um, yeah. and kind of, yeah, line-by-line -line training. I was wondering, and you've helped me crystallize that as well, which is if you talk about, say, metrics as a, MedPick, right? You talk about metrics, for example. Yeah. This is not, it's just, it's, it's frequency-based processes we're really talking about here. Is yeah. the data, what you're saying is the data is showing me that you, the sales rep, are struggling to capture metrics. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. It's, maybe it's a communication skill. Maybe it's a fear. It's a, it's a, you, you fear asking the questions. Maybe you're intimidated because you're having this conversation with a CFO and you're out of your comfort mm -hmm. zone. That to me, I think, is where the sweet spot is. But I think it's probably, the, I think the shift that I'm seeing which, what, from what you're saying is that it's now going to be data-led rather than here's, here's the process and learn this first and then figure the rest out. I tell, you, I tell you what I found out. The beauty of cool recording software is uh, I can ask a rep to go, and by the way, I love MedPick. All of those things are really mm. important. I just think asking mm. a rep to fill in a box is kind of, you know, dinosaur territory. I can ask a rep to write down the metrics that they've discovered for an organization and, and they, they can't recall them and they can't communicate them um, and they don't think they've got enough. And then what I do is I go through their three discovery calls on a call recording platform and I find they've got more metrics than our top sales reps get. So here's, here's the point I'm making. The reason why I talked about the pixels in the letter is uh, we measure people by what they can regurgitate in terms of their recollection of a sales process when they're writing out their qualification model. I'm telling you that more often than not, they've actually got it all. They just didn't realize it. 
and this is the beauty of some of these technologies that they've got more than they realized. Um, now, I, mm. you know, being dyslexic, part of my problem is uh, what's in my brain, I can't write down. So I'm naturally aware of there's this disconnect between what I knew and what I could communicate. Now, the benefit of digital mm. selling and all this is actually uh, there's stuff that's being collected that I didn't even realize. I ask reps to go back through calls and they're really, wow, oh, they talked about this and I didn't realize it and I need to go and capture that. And, uh, and they talked about that and I, I didn't pick up on that at the time because they were in the moment and they didn't broaden their aperture enough. Now, mm. I would uh, even the best salespeople are going to miss a ton of stuff in a half hour call. That's not to say that they haven't mm. got the message. You know, just because they didn't, they heard it, but they didn't listen to it. So they couldn't communicate their med yes. criteria, but they actually got it. And that's why I'm saying we need to yeah, use, it, you know, yeah. we use tools to augment the brilliance of what's going on in the moment. I was going to say, you know, I could be, um, um, you know, on Strictly Come Dancing, one of the professionals, I dance around the room and at the end of it, everybody's been awed of it. But could they tell you every step they made? No, it started to become natural. But if you broke it down, they did every step. The judges can see it. But did they see it? It's it's mm. this. It's it's a weak analogy, but do you get my sense? There's, I think there's there's no, there's better it, selling it's than a, it's being given justification for. I think it's a great analogy, and I think it's got me thinking about the whole idea. Digital selling is not what we thought it was. We we I think a lot of people I would imagine believe digital selling is just doing what they used to do, but now doing it over Zoom. Mm. And. <laughs> it's anything but is what I'm on and, and you guys are at the, the vanguard of this and, and that's quite interesting because I would have always when listening to a call is I'm more focused on why did I say that I'm not I, I was never thinking about what information that was coughed up with that I wasn't aware of or that I didn't notice or pay attention to that's a whole other area as well that didn't even cross my mind mm. interesting there's a stat given yeah. by one of the call recording vendors that said that reps that listen back to their calls perform 9% better. Um, I, I would agree with that, but with one qualification. They listen back to the call. They grab all of the other areas that they didn't address in that discovery. And they craft an email back to the person that says, I listen back to our call. So you're important. And this is important to me. And, and I'm, I'm brought into your process. I heard these three or four things that we didn't discuss. Um, one is how important, I put them in order of importance, but should we have another call to unpack any of those? I don't want to do you a disservice where we go down a route which is based on what I recalled versus what's important. I, I've never not had a buyer engage with that at another level. That's gold. That is pure gold. And what, what, what a place to, to end the call on. As always, Tom, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Brilliant. Love it.